Brewers baseball fans, welcome to episode 63, the Tyler Thornburg edition of the View from Bernie Chalet podcast. in Germantown, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Jason. And joining me in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's Alex. And in Whitewater, Wisconsin, it's Bradley. What's happening tonight, guys? Oh, nothing. Just uh, watching the one of the most simultaneously boring and interesting events in all of sports in the NFL draft and then doing this. Who's paying you to say that's interesting? Uh, I can't believe they got three days out of that. <laughs> no, they. I miss the old format where you only had to watch the one day because you got like the first four rounds, and the second day didn't matter. And then now they're just trying to make as much money as possible off of it. It is crazy that they've been able to take this and make it a three-day event, and mo- most of it in prime time. Yeah, I mean it's just insane. Like it's, it's become. Well, I mean, the NFL itself, you know, the Super Bowl has always been this gigantic thing, but now they've turned, like, the draft into this gigantic thing. I mean, even the Combine. I mean, they're broadcasting the Combine at NFL Network. And, uh, yeah, the NFL is just insane. They're a huge money-making industry. And um, you know what? The people, there are very, very hardcore NFL fans out there who, you know, eat up every bit of NFL information and news that they can get you know and i mean i can't say i i mean i watch a lot of baseball coverage you know so i can't downgrade them for what they like to watch but you know it's just crazy yeah though i don't really get the combine because i'm not a scout like i know what good numbers are but most of these players i've never even seen play and i i have nothing to judge it on besides for oh wow they can jump really high but everyone else can jump really high too. Pretty much all I know is when someone did really bad. Well, are you just like judging all these guys' performance against your, what you could do, or like? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just go. Well, that guy did a forty, but that guy did a thirty-eight. That guy did a thirty-five. That's not good if the other guy's doing a thirty or a forty. Oh, that guy did a twelve. That's bad. That's bad. That's basically how I watched the combine the one year I watched it. And I was like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. I know I would get my ass kicked in all the physical challenges, but I'd like to take that Wonderlick test and (laughs) see how I would uh, fare against some of those guys. Yeah. um, I mean, you got to do better than some of the people who are getting like threes, right? I would hope so. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I mean, I only have a technical college associate's degree but we have a degree yes yes a very very (laughs) small degree but i still have yeah but from ucla man (laughs) the university closest to lake avenue 
Gateway Tech, the um, what is it? The the, the Harvard <laughs> of technical <laughs> schools in the Midwest. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, enough NFL talk. Let's switch to the reason we are here, which of course is baseball, and more specifically Brewers baseball. Um, that nine-game winning streak that was pretty fun, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're like, what, a game out of first? So that's pretty exciting. Uh, but, of course, it's April, so. But to go from 2-8 and eight to 11-9, and nine, of course, I'm saying 11-9 and nine because they lost last night, ending the nine-game winning streak on a controversial call that uh, was kind of horseshit at the end of the game with Maldonado getting called out at the plate when he was not all the way out of the batter's box when the ball hit him, so it should not have been an out. But uh, regardless, they go from 2-8 and eight to 11-9, and nine, two games over 500, and, uh, you know, right back in the hunt here. Granted, it is super early, but uh, they're off today. They then start a series with the Dodgers. But uh, over the course of this nice win streak, uh, a lot of positives have happened, but uh, one uh, negative, uh, one of the few negatives, has been the play of Ricky Weeks, and that's not just during the nine-game winning streak, but really over the course of the season so far. He has struggled mightily. Um, his stats right now are looking quite shady, to say the least. He's only batting 169 uh, on base of 273, which is actually quite, quite good considering how low his batting average is. He does have 10 walks, second on the team to Ryan Braun, with that slugging at only 260, just the one home run, four doubles, no triples. He is uh, four for four in steals, uh, but the defense has been shaky. His, he just looks all kinds of lost at the plate. Um, you know, was was very bad when he was in the cleanup spot. He was four for 43 with only two RBIs in 11 starts batting cleanup. And uh, it's just not looked good, guys. He, he of course, it was struggled mightily last year. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, he was coming off that ankle injury from 2011. He definitely wasn't 100%. And he kind of worked it out at the end of the year, and it got you to thinking, okay, like, maybe we'll get the uh, the Ricky Weeks of, you know, circa 2009, 2010, 2011 to start this year. But we have not. So what, uh, you know, a lot of people clamoring on Twitter and message boards that uh, they'd like to see Weeks benched. And that's fine and good, but I say for who, and then people bring up Scooter Jeanette, and I don't think he is quite ready. No. Um, so, I mean, what do, you, what do you guys think of Weeks? Do you believe in Ricky Weeks yet? And if not, what what's your solution to this uh, issue? Well, even if I did or do believe in Ricky Weeks, there's not really a solution. Uh, I agree with Scooter Jeanette is not a logical fix right now i re remember a couple days ago there was a yahoo article about how the brewers should bench weeks even go as far to come up with a phantom injury for weeks and call up Gannett. but i mean Gannett probably could use as much time in the minors as possible i think he is the heir apparent to ricky weeks um but the more time in the minors i think is the better for him and right now the bench is stretched so thin there's literally no other direction you could go with with what Ricky we her Ricky Weeks is able to offer you the few times he does hit a ball hard um you need some combination of Uni and Alex Gonzalez to play first and third 
Um, Alex Gonzalez is doing just as bad, if not worse, than Ricky right now, aside from at least he can do something defensively. But he doesn't walk as much as Weeks, so you're still not getting someone on base that often. Um, so, really, I mean, he's hitting 145 with a 200 on base and a 218 slugging, so that's not much of a better option than Ricky. If If the bench was full, I'd say... With Uni hitting as well as he is right now, you'd probably go with him and and get as much as you can for Uni, which in most seasons isn't a lot, but this season at least he's providing some sort of assistance. But right now there's nowhere else to go. And as bad as he is, um, there's no other direction you can go. At least he's a guy who still has some pop in his bat. At least he's a guy who can still drive in some runs. Really, the only thing you can do is you probably, even though he always talks about how much he hates it, you have to move move him down in the order to get him out of a situation that can hurt the Brewers. I'd like to see, even though last week I said one of the solutions was put him in the third hole, that was more of a, if you're going to try and get him out of the funk, what can you do? And that was protect him with Ryan Braun. And I figured you didn't want to take Aoki or Segura out of the one and two holes. So that was my only option there. But really now, it just, if you're not going to do something like that, which why would the Brewers, with the success they've been having with the top of the order otherwise, you have to move them down and then move someone like Carlos Gonzalez in the five hole, who's been one of the best hitters in the MLB as of right now. I mean, he's not providing much. He has 28 strikeouts already, and that's over a strikeout per game. Um, and he's clearly lost on, on all facets of the game over the last year he's hitting 227 with a 382 slugging he only has 19 home runs which is below average for weeks because weeks is a, the guy who can over 162 games can get you about 25 homers um and he's just a different player out there um probably the only thing you can do to try and help get him out is move him down in the order or get him an off day every now and then by putting Maldonado, or some combination of Maldonado, Uni, and Alex Gonzalez out into the field. But like I said, I mean, it's not like you're increasing your odds. The only thing you're doing is giving an, uh, him an off day in hopes that that helps him figure things out. Uh, I really think Weeks is the problem uh, and the solution at the same time. Because, I mean, we, we all know it's April. Um, it's towards the end of April, so we we have a small, bigger than a small sample size to look at, really. And what you're kind of seeing with Ricky is, number one, the strikeouts, they have to slow down. Uh, he's already a, like uh, almost nine, I think eight or nine percent over his career average uh, for strikeout rate right now. So that's number one that's got to change. I think when he lowers that strikeout rate and starts – uh, giving a little more discipline at the plate, we're going to see a lot more out of Ricky. And I I am going to say leave it as it is for right now because I think moving him around is just going to extrapolate this problem longer. I think he needs to find some way to get into a groove. I think we have no other options right now but Ricky. I mean, second base is a pretty premium position on any team, uh, and the Brewers even more so than some of the other ones. So... Um, I think once he lowers that strikeout rate, his walk rate's about career average. It's actually a little over, so that's not a problem. 
I think he's going to get his hits eventually. And I think once he starts getting those hits, you're going to start seeing his, his uh, slugging percentage get up there. I think as soon as, I mean, we've all seen it in years past. Ricky looks just lost for a couple weeks at a time, but then he just comes on so strong for a few months. Um, and those few months are what I'm counting on right now by saying to stick with Ricky because just just even looking back to last year and comparing numbers, he's he's not on pace to be too much lower than previous year's numbers right now, aside from obviously home runs and some of the other power numbers like that. But um, like I said, I think once that K rate drops and once he finds some kind of rhythm in this lineup, I think there's no reason why Ricky shouldn't be the the guy we're going to be going to and uh, our best option now and in the rest of the season uh, at second base. I agree with you 100%. I mean, you can't bench a guy with the track record that Weeks has just because he's going through a, a slump. I mean, yeah, it's a really bad slump, but I, I just have the feeling that he will – get out of it and it is encouraging to see that he is still walking and if he quit swinging at some garbage he'd probably be getting even more walks or getting better pitches to hit which would lead to more hits and his average would be up and maybe he'd be getting some extra base hits but i mean you can still see the great you know quick hands with the swing he has been driving the ball a little bit he has hit into some hard outs um you know i i I think he will be fine the defense is kind of concerning he's you know, looked um, pretty awful out there so far this year, kind of going back to his early days at second base when he was kind of a train wreck out there. And then, he, you know, he had gone through a good stretch uh, for a few the last couple of years. And now it looks like, eh, has he taken a step back? You hope not. But, I mean, there's no one on this team that I'd rather see there right now. Um, I know some people probably think, well, when – you know, Ramirez and Hart come back, just put Uni at second. No, that's not a good idea it's because Uni yeah. yeah, I mean Uni's hot right now, but that's not gonna last forever either. And Uni's a bench player, he's not a starting second baseman. Um and Scooter, while I, I think someday he may be the second baseman of the Milwaukee Brewers, I think that's another couple of years down the road. And I don't think he's quite ready yet, especially defensively. I mean, if you see how Weeks is doing out there, I don't think Scooter's gonna be a whole heck of a lot better. And, I mean, yeah, he's tearing it up right now at AAA. He is batting uh, 386 coming into Thursday's play, but that's, uh, that's like all but two hits have been singles. He's got one double, one triple, and he does have a 407 on base, but that's with a 386 batting average. He only has two walks. I mean, he's, you know, he, Scooter is kind of, you know, he's just a hitter. He's not a power hitter, but... You know, you'd like to see him start getting some more extra base hits, not necessarily home runs, but more extra base hits. So Ricky hopefully will swing his way out of this. If we're another month or two down the line and he's still doing this awful, then maybe you do need to reevaluate it. But I believe in Ricky Weeks, and I think he's the starting second baseman of this team, and that all-star is still in that body somewhere. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) When he's on, he's one of the best offensive second basemen in the league. Granted, he's only been on for a complete of, like, two seasons. But, I mean, he has put together later in his career. And he's a guy who just adds a lot to this offense when he can hit. I think right now the only thing you can do is 
put him in a spot where he can still help, like the six hole, and then just put a bat that's a little bit hotter than him in front of him, and let him be in a lower part of the order where he's not going to damage it as much. Um, and then as some of the better hitters come back, you can move him down a little bit further. And even though he hates batting that low because he he hates how long it takes to get to him, that's just something that comes with being in a slump. And, I mean, there's no internal option. There's no external option. And there's not a lot of second baseman that when Ricky's on, there's not a lot of second baseman who can do anything close to what he can do. Exactly. So. I mean, he's a second baseman with his power... There's only a few of them in the league. I mean, Robinson Cano, Dustin Pedroia, Brandon Phillips, and that's all I can really think of right now. I, I may be forgetting someone, but at I least about a it. pure second baseman, not people who yeah. hop around. Right. Like, I mean, Zobris, he plays all over the place. and But yeah, I, he should be. Hopefully, he'll be okay. I mean, he's, he, he's, you know, 2009 was that year when he really broke out, and then he had the injury that cost him pretty much. You know, I think he was only, I think he was out most of the season. I think he was just up April. Then he got the wrist injury and he was done. He was, that was when he really kind of turned it around. 2010 had the 29 home run year. He was just fantastic. And 2011 makes the all-star team, was off to a great start. Then has the ankle injury, comes back, was not the same down the stretch for the Brewers. And then last year, you know, the terrible start due to the ankle injury. Says he's 100% this year, so it's not the ankle. You know, you got to hope it's just one of these awful funks and he'll break out of it. So um, let's take our first break of episode 63 when we come back. Uh, talk about Ramos Ramirez, who's going to return to the Brewers lineup, which will be nice. Talk about uh, some lineup changes that may be afoot because of Ramirez returning. It's episode 63 of The View from Bernie Shelley podcast. There's few things in this world you can trust, but when you come and visit the VFBC podcast, you can trust that we will deliver unfiltered, unedited, and unrelenting insight and perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers. Whether you're looking for Brad's Power Rankings, the newest VFBC podcast, or just fan perspective on the latest news in Milwaukee, stop looking. You found a home at the View from Bernie Chalet podcast and blog. Rate and review us on iTunes and check us out on Stitcher. Got some sweet tweets? Hit us up on Twitter at I am Jason D, at Brew Crew B, and at Brew Crew Blue. The VFBC Podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Trust me, you'll like it. View from Bernie Shelley Podcast, episode 63, Jason, Alex, Brad. Good news for the Brewers is that uh, at the start of next week, they will get their cleanup hitter back, so that will be solved. Third baseman Aramis Ramirez is going to come off the DL after that knee injury he sustained in only the fourth game of the season, um, which is obviously great news for the Brewers. They've had a real hard time filling that cleanup spot. We talked earlier about how awful weeks was there. Luke Croy has done a little better since he's been put into that spot, um, but you'd obviously like to see uh, Luke Croy more in the five or six hole. So Ramirez is coming back. He was off to a red-hot start. Granted, it was a small sample of four games, but uh, 385 average, uh, 467 on base, 615 slug for a 1082 OPS. Had a couple walks in there. No home runs yet, but he was uh, off to being a doubles machine. Had three doubles in the first four games. So uh, obviously getting him back is huge, guys. He's going to slide right into that cleanup spot. Um, the question becomes, uh, when he goes there, Luke Croy will obviously probably move to five until Hart comes back. 
So that goes Ricky Weeks. Where do you put him? Gomez has been doing a nice job uh, batting sixth. And, um, you know, Uni and Alex Gonzalez have kind of in that 7-8 spot, of course. Uh, one of them will not be playing now when Ramirez comes back. They'll probably be alternating at first. But uh, you got to keep Gene Segura in the second spot, don't you? Do you got to move Weeks to the six or seven spot? Or do you move Weeks down maybe even to eighth until he – Breaks out of his slump. What do you What do you think the ramifications are of Rami being back? Well, I kind of mentioned it in the last time, but first, aren't you guys really excited for Ramos Ramirez come back and then Braun to start hitting again? Right after that, then conversations come up about how Braun can't hit without protection, because that's what's going to happen. Like Ramos Ramirez is going to come back, and then Braun, coincidentally, in my opinion, is going to come in and, you know, start figuring things out again because, I mean, he normally doesn't slump for more than three weeks, if even that long. And uh, then everyone's going to be like, oh, see, Braun can't do it without protection. He needs Aramis back to hit, and then you get all that back. Which would be ridiculous. And, it, <laughs> and really, it's really ridiculous to say Braun is in a slump. I guess technically he is because he has tw- 22 strikeouts, but he's still batting 274. And he still has a 996 OPS. So, and well, so- I think the uh, thing is less that he's doing or less that he's hitting 290, but like over the last week or so, he's hitting like closer to 200. Right. Uh, but the thing is, when you're hitting 200 and nothing but home runs, that doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, Adam uh, Dunn. He's like been the Adam Dunn of the Brewers. Mark Reynolds so- made a career out of that, so I don't think. Uh, yeah. Over, um, over. The winning streak and this last loss, Braun's been hitting 216 with a 326 on base and a 622 slugging, which is ridiculous to go with a 216 batting average. And then he has five home runs and 14 RBI, uh, three hits that aren't for home runs. So, I mean, that's a slump, but it's not a slump that really hurts anyone. So, um, anywho, when Ronnie gets back, I mean, like you said, he goes in the five hole. I would see Luke Porthole. I would like to see Luke Croy stick in the five hole. Um, and then, like I said, I just I think you got to put weeks down in the order. Um, I think that Carlos Gomez, who is red hot, and when he's having a lot of success, he's one of the best bats in baseball, and he's having a lot of success right now. So why not put him higher in the order where he's someone who can help you get a lot of runs and also manufacture runs with bats like Ricky Uni coming or Ricky Uni slash Alex Gonzalez coming up. Um, I just think it's a better situation for him to be in and to when you have uh, Carlos Gomez getting on in front of Ricky, that gives Ricky more opportunities to drive in runs. And when he starts driving in runs, hopefully that can get his confidence up and then you can move him up. The only problem is if everyone else is doing as well as they've been doing, can you really move him up or is he stuck there? Yeah. I don't because... think like he could knock Lucroy out of a spot if he stays hot, you know, it... and maybe, I mean, you'd put uh, Gomez back down just for having Gomez's bat down in the order. Um, it's kind of nice to have that type of quality, um, 20 home run on a good year uh, bat plus a high average and that type of speed to give people problems after you get past the elite hitters in the lineup. But, I mean, if Segura is still hitting around 300, if, uh, I mean, Aoki's clearly a better leadoff candidate than Ricky. Uh, you're not going to move Braun or Ramirez. And then, like, Luke, her, like Alex said, Lucroy is kind of 
or is clearly better hitter than Ricky. So even when Ricky's on, Lucroy's a better hitter, and you don't want to move that bat down in the lineup. Um, and other, I mean, otherwise, it's kind of nice because after you get through, and if Ricky finds it, you do have kind of a second part of the order in that. And the guy where when Ricky finds himself has a lot of power. So you have an on-base slash average machine in the five hole with Lucroy, a good contact guy and extra base guy in Carlos Gomez, which is what you'd like in your two hole. And then a power and then average guy when he's on in Ricky. I mean, he's not always an average guy and he does have a lot of strikeouts, but when he's on, he, he hits. Um, so it's nice because you kind of have a turnover your lineup and then sure. I mean, you have Junior Agons in the eight spot and then the pitcher, but at least you'd have that turnaround to help you score more. Um, I just think if you do move Ricky down, he's never coming back up. Yeah. And I think that would be kind of the, you know, nail in his coffin to move him down too low because, I think Ricky's the kind of guy that needs to stay by the action, and especially getting Ramirez back like this. I mean, th- these these problems we're talking about are kind of good problems to have. Um, it, it's it's not a bad thing to have to talk about where to assemble a lineup that can pretty much hit when it's on and in any order you put it in. So I think kind of the lineup that you were talking about is going to maximize um, the run potential of this lineup. So... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you with, with pretty much everything you said, because, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot more protection throughout the lineup. If we do it that way, we're going to have guys that can give us uh solid outs in any part of the order. So it's, it's, it's a nice problem to have. Yeah. And I mean, this is one, this is the reason why the Brewers have one of the top offenses in baseball year in, year out is because they just, they have these types of problems, um, especially when we're not running thin because of injuries like we have been over the last uh, couple of weeks. When we have our full rotation, I mean, when Corey Hart, that's another big problem, exactly. like, big what good happens? problem. Yeah. <laughs> what happens then? Well, that's even crazier. I mean, I mean, it's easy. You take uni out, but then how do you assemble it? The It's just question after question of how do you do it? And like you said, it's not, it's in no way, shape or form a bad problem to have, especially when a guy who's basically a rookie, he's not eligible for rookie, um, but is basically rookie is carrying part of the top of your order and nothing seems to cause any problems in the Brewers lineup right now. Even Ricky hitting 160 isn't causing many problems. Yeah, when Hart comes back, it's going to be just an awesome problem to have here in a month. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be very difficult to move Segura down to the eighth spot. But the only other candidates I really see for batting eighth would probably be then, I mean, Gomez, Lucroy, or Weeks. And I, I really don't know what they're going to do. I mean, it would seem to me, you know, obviously Aoki's one, Braun is three, Ramirez is four, Hart is five. But two, six, seven, and eight is going to be kind of a crapshoot. I mean, I would prefer Segura stay in the two spot, but you know, Renicky, will he do? Will he move weeks up? Have that temptation? Because I mean, Segura was hitting in the eighth spot at the start of the season, so maybe he'd be okay there. 
but I don't I know. Kinda, I Gomez has batted there before. Lucroy's batted there before. So I don't I, know what they're going to do. I like Gomez down there because I like the problems he can create before the pitcher. He can do a lot of things that can hurt you on the bases with his bat. Um, but, I mean, still, it's hard to justify getting rid of that potential from earlier in the lineup, especially with a almost guaranteed out. But it's also nice to have the ability to where Gomez gets on base, if he's leading off an inning, he can steal second and then almost automatically be at third when the pitcher bunts. And then all you have to do is get a sack fly out of Aoki and that's a run. So it's nice to have that type of problem. I like that speed. I like that, that extra danger he adds to the lineup and to the thoughts that have to go through pitcher's heads when facing him, even in the eighth spot. So I think that's kind of where I like him when everything shapes out. Uh, but, but still, that still puts Ricky in the seven hole. And that, I don't think that's horrible, but it's not the best place to get production out of him, um, especially because he just hates being there. And Ricky is one of those guys where if Ricky's not happy, he's not going to do well. Um, I guess you'd probably just have to have Segura, just by being the least veteran member of the club, be the guy who's you're going to move around the most, even though he's doing the best. If he falls into a slump at all and gives you any reason to move Ricky back up, if Ricky can find it again, he has to be the guy to move just based on tenure. Yeah, which is kind of stupid when you think about it, though. Yeah. Like, Agreed. Don't, don't <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, you. but at the same time, like he has done a good job hitting second right in front of Braun. So, and Segura did fine hitting eighth, so maybe you do that. And if Ricky finds it again, you know, then that's a good decision. If he still struggles, then maybe you just switch back, and then you go back with Segura there and figure out what you're going to do with Weeks. But the, the the real bottom line here is is when Ramirez comes back at the start of next week, and then when Hart comes back in a month, you're looking at maybe the best one through eight in the National League. If not the best, damn, it's got to be in the top three. Yeah, if everyone's doing, if everyone's playing up to their career numbers, and Segura is continuing to improve and hit the way he has. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I mean, it's just I going step backtracking a little bit. I actually don't mind Segura in the bat on the lineup now that I'm thinking about it. For this, if you have Gomez and him together, for the same reason I was mentioning Gomez, is they just create so many problems on the bases that you never let the pitcher have any time off. Uh, but yeah, I think in order to justify removing, like I said, you, in order to justify it, Gomez has to go on a slump and Weeks has to figure it out. Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. Touche. It'll be uh, exciting any which way, though, to get Ramirez back and then get Hart back. And uh, the lineups should score runs. The bench will get better because you'll move Uni and Aegon to the bench to join Schaefer and Maldonado. So that, that looks like a decent bench. And then, of course, uh, the pitching has been good. So uh, this team, they've, they've got a chance. Let's put it that way. So uh, we'll take our second break on episode 63. We come back, talk about John Axford and uh, when he may be going back into the closes role and if that's even a good idea. It's episode 63 of the VFBC podcast. View from Bernie's Chalet. We're not just a podcast. We're a website. If you like insightful articles written by real fans just like you, come visit us at viewfrombernieschalet.blogspot.com. 
There you create articles and the latest Brewers news. Find our podcast stream and email us, Jason, Alex, and Brad. The View from Bernie's Chalet, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Episode 63, View from Bernie's Chalet podcast. Brewers bullpen has done very well as of late, especially over this nine-game winning streak they are coming off of. Jim Henderson has done a heck of a job in the ninth as a closer, and John Axford has uh, come out of his very early season doldrums and has pitched uh, some uh, scoreless innings, I think, in, what is it, five or six straight games. So things are looking good. But in his interview session the other day, Ron Renicki did say that uh, he doesn't plan on tinkering with the, the current game plan of Axford setting up Henderson, but he said a return to the ninth could be on the horizon for Axford. Um, in the quote, he said, it's nothing against Henderson. He's done a great job for us pitching there. But I think with Axe, because of his breaking ball, and when he's throwing it well, I think Axe has a chance to repeat the season that he had two years ago. Guys, I think Renicky's done a heck of a job managing this bullpen. Or Recently, he's you know stuck with Henderson in the ninth, who has done everything he can possibly do. He's been fantastic. Axford has done his thing. He's done a good job mixing in Gorzolani and Gonzalez. He has not been afraid to have Figaro and Kinsler go multiple innings to save other guys' arms. He's not been shy about, you know, uh, switching from righty to lefty or lefty to righty in the middle of an inning, you know, playing the matchup. So I think he's done a great job. But don't you think if he goes ahead and switches this Axford-Henderson combo right now before it's broken that it would be a huge mistake? Um, I do. I think the one problem is, is Renicky takes this pride in being a man of his word. And I think he promised John Axford, like, well, once you get this fixed, we'll move you back. And I think now he feels obligated to do that because over his last six appearances, uh, Axford has four holds. He is striker. He struck out six and five and a third. And he hasn't allowed a run. Um, people also have a 118 batting average against him. Um, and that's across the board. That's their slash line. 118, 118, 118. Um, so he has been doing extremely well. The only thing is the combination's been working. During the winning streak, the bullpen had a 1-3-2 ERA, which you don't get much better than that as far as the bullpen goes. Um, and, yeah, you want the bullpen to stick like this. You don't want to have to redo anything. But at the same time, I mean, like I said, I think he just promised Axford the rollback. He wants to be a man of his word. He wants his players to trust him. Henderson probably went in knowing that. But us as fans, with the problems we've been having in the bullpen, it's hard for us to buy into changing something that's working. Because we've had these errors. We watched John Axford blow the games. And when the bullpen's pretty much not allowing a run, anytime they appear you don't want to see that change they're doing spectacular everyone's doing their role there's almost no bad piece and it's just hard to accept that someone would change that just because um i mean i don't think it's the end of the world i do want axford back as closer at some point i like the idea of axford closing um even though he has struggled but i like security better and jim henderson with the role he's on right now, gives you that security. Yeah, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves about modern baseball, I guess you'd say, and kind of 
we've we've come so far with so many things, but yet we have to like cling to these, you know, archaic uh, relief pitcher constructions. If something's working, why why are you going to mess with it at all? I mean, if if saves were never counted as a category, I doubt we would ever be having this conversation about who was pitching the ninth inning. Um, it, it would never it wouldn't even be happening because what you need to do in a bullpen is set up your matchups which Renicky, like Brad said, has done very well over this stretch of games. Um, when you manage a bullpen correctly and have the correct people where they are, no matter who they are, you're going to have success. That's why closer roles are so much in flux every year. That's why you can't buy into a closer, I think. Um, that has one or two good seasons because eventually he's going to fall out of that role and you're going to need to find another spot for him. Now, some happen sooner than sooner than others, and that's fine. I don't think that's necessarily the case with Axford, but I'm merely saying that when you have something that can put together the, the kind of games they have, uh, pick up pitchers when they need to get out, I don't think that there's any reason to change anything that they're doing. Uh, if Axford's finding success where he is now and how he's being used, why isn't that the best way to use him? Um, why does he have to go to the ninth? Henderson is doing fine. Why make him move out of that role that he's being comfortable in? It's just I could probably talk a long time about this, and I'm going to stop. Uh, but um, it's just, I just don't get it. I just don't get the logic behind it with, with all the things we have to look at now um, with, the, with the modern saber metrics and everything that we have going on that we, we can look at and compare things to why are we still holding on to this guy has to be the closer. This guy is pitching the ninth. That's his inning. Um, it's beyond me. Yeah. I mean, it's really, a matter of managers have become a slave to the save stat. And they've got their ninth inning guy, the guy that gets to save the closer, you know, it's become a position. It's a, it's a superstar spot, you know, and then you've got your eighth inning guy, the setup man, you know, and it is all kind of crazy and asinine. And that's why, you know, when, you know, so many people on Twitter and whatnot talk about how closers aren't things, you know, a relief pitcher should be able to get outs in any inning and I think for the most part, that is true. I think you do have to have a little, it is a little bit psychological and emotional being the closer than in a different part of the game, pitching in that ninth inning. I don't know why those last three outs are different, but I know that most relief pitchers will tell you they are a little different. It really shouldn't and, be that way, but it is. And the one thing I had to add on to that, to kind of back up your point, is if you want to tell me that they aren't, like anyone should be able to get any out of the game, which I'm not saying I support the save stat or that I'm not getting into the semantics of that. But if you want to tell me it doesn't matter, then tell me why the Brewers had like seven closers last year and no one could do it. Because it wasn't their spot. Like uh, there's just like well, Jason the said, there's something intangible. Sucked. The bullpen did just suck. Yes, but there was there's a lot of other problems besides the ninth. They, anytime you even moved a player who was having some success in the ninth role, they sucked at it until Axford got his role back. There is some intangible that we don't understand as fans well, and people the who have psychology of the the inning. I mean, when you think about it, there's a lot always weighing on that inning. If you're bringing in your closer, they're three or less away from you, and you need to hold them away from being able to either tie or win the game. 
So, I mean, there, there is a big psychological uh, factor into it. But aside from the psychological factors, there's also, you know, what this guy does against this kind of pitching, what this guy does against, you know, a righty or a lefty. I mean, you have to think about those things. And sometimes coaches turn a blind eye and managers t- turn a blind eye to these things because the ninth inning is the ninth inning. It is what it is. Yeah, and I can agree with that for the most part. Like if Joey Votto's leaving up an inning and we have Mike Gonzalez or leading off the ninth and we have Mike Gonzalez in the pen, why not go to Mike Gonzalez just to get that out like you would any other inning? Um, I agree there is some structure flaw. Um, but I just I think us as Brewer fans, I, I've seen a lot of people just chuck it without that type of regard and be like, any reliever can get any out and I <laughs> I think what we've experienced should prove that you can't just have that easygoing concept about it because apparently, like, I mean, it is the extra stress, but there's also something more than that because, I mean, there are, there's relievers who can get out of a bases loaded jam and then not close down the nine. And that, I mean, the bases loaded jams should be way heavier, way on you, way heavier and be 10 times more stressful than the nine. But for some reason, there's pitchers who can go out there and can't do it. Um, getting back to the original point, though, I think you could take a lot of what you're saying into context and maybe split Henderson and Axford. If there's a guy who does better against a slider than they do a curveball, use Axford um, and kind of split that matchup. Although both their fastballs are pretty much equal in the long run. Henderson, I think, throwing a little harder than Axford, although Axford has the velocity seems to have come back the last few games. You're seeing yeah. more 95s from him again, which is good. Um, Henderson does have some issues with lefties. I mean, not this year so far, but he is more susceptible to giving up hits to lefties, you know. Um, but he's done a I mean, fantastic job in 10 innings. Has struck out 12.6 batters per nine. His whip is 0.80. His ERA is 0.90. He's got five saves and five opportunities. He's only given up one earned run. He's only walked two, 14 strikeouts. I mean, he's been really, really good there. So I just, I, I can, I understand Renicky wanting to be a word of his man, you know, a man of his word, give Axford the spot back. But I think as long as Henderson is doing the job there and as long as Renicky continues to, play matchup so well before he gets to the ninth with his guys. I think he should just keep going that route because over that nine game winning streak, he was, I mean, he was managing the bullpen as well as I've seen him manage a bullpen. As well as we've seen a manager manage a bullpen in Milwaukee for a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, in 2011, he managed the bullpen good, but that's because it was easy. Yeah. You had K-Rod and Axford in the eighth and ninth. And, you know, before that, the starters were usually going six innings. So you really only had a, throw in the seventh inning, throw Saito out there, you know, like it was pretty easy in 2011. Last year he struggled, but you know, he, he tried to make moves and they didn't work, but it's because, I mean, as we said, that the entire bullpen sucked last yeah. year. Like and there I wasn't anybody you could rely on to get out consistently. And I think it's kind of a lesson learned type of ordeal where, you know, last year was a lot of experiment. It was a lot of how do I get my bullpen pitchers through struggles, um, are there matchups I can't play with? And I think he learned a lot from that year overall. And, you know, this year, it's just awesome that he's 
got a guy like Alfredo Figueroa and Brandon Kinsler. These guys can go two innings. He's letting them go two innings a few times. Why burn another pitcher if you don't have to? You know, he's got two lefties out there, Gorzolani and Gonzalez. He's using them good. You know, Gorzolani can get, you know, righties and lefties out, and he's done that. Gonzalez, you know, supposed to be a lefty specialist, had some struggles early. The last few times he's come, pitched very well. Uh, Badenhop, he brings him in against certain guy. You know, he's he's tougher on righties. He gets the ground balls. He's gone to him in certain situations. And, of course, Axford, um, he's been using him in higher leverage situations, and he's done a good job. And then Henderson in the ninth. He's, he's just managed it really, really well, and I hope he doesn't fix what's not broke, just continues with the course, manage matchups, you know, righties, lefties, and just stick with Henderson in the ninth until he falters. If if Axford continues to throw well and all of a sudden Henderson has some blow-ups, okay, then uh, go back to X. But don't just put him back in the closer spot because he's starting to pitch a little better and he's making $5 million. You know? I think in the long run, though, we can all agree if it works in the long run, who cares? Um, yeah. I think it's just a fear that maybe we messing with something that isn't broken, as we mentioned, could lead to problems and we i mean all brewer fans should be scarred from last year probably for life because that was a horrible situation where literally we tried everything we could in the ninth nothing worked and then axford comes out has the beginning of the season he had and now henderson is having a season uh a start of the season as good as probably any reliever we've seen since Axford's 2011 before that who knows when um I mean it's a very very good start to the season for a closer um he's one of the best closers in the league as of right now so it's hard to give up on that type of success but in the long run if you know Renicky does it we'll gripe for three days uh, if it works then we'll just stop griping and we'll go on with life yep I mean I just hope, you know, that it, he, he just continues to manage well because, you know, Renicky has taken a lot of flack at times for his bullpen management or mismanagement, you know, from all of us, you know, and uh, when he's actually right buttons, it's uh, it's fun to watch. So I hope he continues to push the right bullpen buttons and the guys continue to perform because if they're all out there sucking it up like they did last year, it doesn't matter what button Renicky pushes because it ain't going to be the right one. So. Uh, let's take our final break on episode 63. When we come back, we will do all the normal wrap-up stuff, previewing the week ahead, going around the NL Central, and naming our third Shelley Award winner for Brewer of the Week in 2013. Jason, Alex, and Brad, VFBC 63. There's few things in this world you can trust, but when you come and visit the VFBC podcast, you can trust that we will deliver unfiltered, unedited, and unrelenting insight and perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers. Whether you're looking for Brad's Power Rankings, the newest VFBC podcast, or just fan perspective on the latest news in Milwaukee, stop looking. You found a home at the View from Bernie Chalet podcast and blog. Rate and review us on iTunes and check us out on Stitcher. Got some sweet tweets? Hit us up on Twitter at IamJasonD, at BrewCrewB, and at BrewCrewBlue. The VFBC Podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Trust me, you'll like it. Episode 63 of the podcast, wrapping things up. We will preview the week ahead for the Brewers. They're going to wrap up their West Coast road trip against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium starting tomorrow night, April 26th. It's going to be a 9-10 start Central Time. Hiram Burgos going for the Brewers. He's 1-0 with a 1.80 ERA. 
Uh, he's going to face Josh Beckett of the Dodgers. He's 0-3 with a 4.68 ERA. Burgos was very good in his Major League debut last Saturday, and he was rewarded with another start. Enjoyed watching him. He had a very sexy changeup, so hope to see more of that. Uh, Saturday, Willie Peralta is going to go for the be a 8-10 Central Time start at Dodger Stadium. He's 1-1 with a 5.16 ERA, coming up his first win of the season. When he went six and two-thirds innings against the Cubs, was very good. Hopefully more of that from Willie. Uh, Stephen Fife going for the Dodgers. He's 0-0 zero and zero with a 7.71 ERA. And on his MLB.com profile pick, he has some sweet sport goggles. So good for him. Um, the Brewers will wrap up their West Coast road trip against the Dodgers on Sunday. It's a 3-10 start central time. Kyle Loesch going for the crew. He's 1-1 one one with a 2.52 ERA. He will face Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, 2-2 two two with a 2.14 ERA. It's nice to see Loesch will make his start after he dislocated his left pinky against the Padres. And I've never seen anyone dislocate a finger and make not a big deal about it at all like he does it every Tuesday. So that was fun to see. Um, and then the Brewers will return back home, and they'll have little homestand against the Pirates, the Cardinals, and the Texas Rangers coming to town for the first time in probably forever. So that'll be fun. Um, That's previewing the week ahead for the Brewers. Alex, let's go to you and around the NL Central. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Cubs starter Matt Garza was scratched from a rehab start this week after he experienced quite a bit of soreness in a lat strain he sustained back on February 17th. He is set for long toss now on Friday, and the Cubs, I'm sure, are itching to get him back. Not that they have needed it so far. The Cubs are currently ranked 5th as a team in ERA at 3.42, mostly in part to the way their starters have performed so far. Teams are hitting just 225 against the Cubs staff, and getting Garza back will be a big boost to not only the rotation, but the bullpen. Ian Stewart is also trying to make it back to the club, but his dismal rehab stint in AAA has been less than overwhelming. As of Thursday, Stewart had just 2 hits in 24 at-bats, and Dale isn't going to play him over Valbuena if he keeps hitting. Valbuena further solidified his spot on Thursday, hitting the game-winning home run in the ninth inning against the Dead Fish. The Reds are also waiting on a pair of guys who are coming back soon. Sean Marshall is making big strides in an effort to return from tendonitis in his left shoulder. Marshall hasn't pitched in the big since April 7th, but has had some good work in his rehab assignments. His last two outings, he threw one perfect and one shutout, utilizing all his pitches. Marshall sounds and looks like everything is a go to return to action and bolster the Reds' pen. Ryan Hannigan was also recently placed on the DL with a left oblique issue as well as his right thumb. Hannigan isn't eligible until May 5th to come back, but his stat line would point to him needing the rest either way. Hitting just 3 for uh, 38 so far, Hannigan should spend some time in the cages and get some extra work in to give the Reds something to look forward to, besides not having to play Washington anymore this season. The Pirates played spoiler to the Phillies, much-toted Big 3. After hauling out Hamels, Halliday, and Lee, the Phillies came up with three losses in a row, the first time this has happened in 18 tries. The Pirates made the mold to beat the Phillies down the stretch, hang in there with their starters and beat the bullpen. The Phillies got exposed by Pittsburgh night after night after they tagged their relievers for big hits. Even Lee, one of the best pitchers in the league, was finally chased after six solid innings of work, after three runs in the seventh. If they had a bullpen, Lee could have left the game in the sixth and maybe they won that game. The Pirates pick up three games in the series, and I'm sure they are feeling good after getting production in all facets of their game. The Cardinals have also finally stabilized their end, and it's paying off big dividends lately. 
Fresh off a sweep on the road in the Nationals, the Cards have a lot of things going for them. The lineup was never a question mark, but coming into the season, many people figured their starters to be a possible weak point in the St. Louis armor. After this last series, they may have changed some opinions. Shelby Miller has been fantastic in his first full year, and Jaime Garcia outpitched Strasburg to win the final game of the series. Matheny halted the Boggs experiments and has gone to Mujica in the ninth, and the rest of the pen has fallen into place. Some players may be a bit too optimistic, though, as Yadier Merlina, in typical fashion, claim that they now can beat anybody. Can and will are different things, buddy. Good luck down the stretch, and I'll take the under on that line. Back to you, Jason. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, as always. Good stuff from you. And now we throw it to Brad. To wrap up episode 63, it's time for the Shelley Award winner for Brewer of the Week in the third week of the season. Brad? Well, you got to go with uh, the guy the rest of the MLB is picking for the player of the week. Even though he is a couple days removed from it and his average has dropped a bit, you got to go Carlos Gomez. I mean, even for a slash line, the dude's hitting 389 with a 522 OBP and a 667 slugging, which is awesome. Um, He only has three extra base hits in an RBI, but he does have five runs scored. He's a couple of stolen bases, and he's just been super aggressive and really fun to watch. His defense is awesome as always and even though everyone else is winning i mean you could go with ryan braun and his 12 rbis but he's in whatever you would call a slump for ryan braun uh garo had a good week as well but you got to punish him for being a drunk bastard and i mean everyone else isn't doing what cargo is doing so you got to go 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 um really good week so far so he takes the third chalet award winner Well-deserved. He uh, started the season a little slow, but he's really turned it on. Gotta love the way he's been able to go to right field this year. You know, hitting the ball the other way with authority. He looks a little more selective at the plate. Um, Just looks like a different player, you know, going back to last year and even the year before that. You know, you can solely see the way he has developed as a player and uh, very glad that he uh, signed that extension with the Brewers uh, at the start of the year. So, um That'll do it, guys. Episode 63 in the books. We should be back next week, uh, probably another Wednesday or Thursday night record. It's going to be just uh, me and Brad. Alex, you are off on a disc golfing adventure. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Five days you straight. Must be look- Where are you going for this? Well, we're going uh, Wednesday night. I'm leaving, uh, heading up to Fond du Lac, uh, meet up with uh, my buddy and two of his friends with uh, two of my buddies from be. Six of us all together going on this last year. There's only three of us, so it should be a lot more fun this year. And we're uh, renting out a cabin up in Highbridge, Wisconsin, which is kind of close to Ashland. Um, but we're hitting uh, a few courses in Stevens Point and uh, kind of the Wausau area and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, we're going to play probably about nine or ten different courses in the course of five days. So stay at a big resort up in northern Wisconsin. So should be fun. Awesome. That's a good time. You going to be uh, have any cocktails while you're doing that? Oh, yes. <laughs> I come at, it's a resort, man. All we're doing, we got we can get some golf carts. They have golf carts and stuff out there. You drive those around. It's fun. You drive golf carts on the disc golf course? Well, there's they're only allowed on a few of them and oh, okay. uh they're they're like championship level courses there's there's a uh one of these courses that has a few holes most of the holes are 500 to 800 feet long and they have one that's 1300 feet long 
So, I mean, it's a long course. Last year it took us, I think, about four hours for three of us to play it. Wow. Yeah. It was an all-day affair. Yeah, I guess so. That's awesome, though. Um, Well, you'll be missed, but uh, Brad and I will try to hold down the fort without you. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm going to the Brewers game on Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, They don't have the pitching matchups announced for that, so... Not sure who I'm going to get to see, but that's going to be my, let's see, I think fourth or fifth game already this year. Fourth, I think. So looking forward to that. Uh, Brad, you got anything interesting going on this coming week? Uh, I work, which is pretty cool. Uh, Sweeps has started, so that's going on. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a big I, time of year for you guys in the TV biz, huh? You got yeah. Any, you got any smut stories that are coming out that you're producing? Uh, I have no idea because I am just a lowly ant in the microcosm that is the TV business. Um, I think, although I'm going to go out of my way, especially with a couple 70-degree days coming up, I'm going to go out of my way to go out and hit the links for the first time this year. I'm actually going to play a tournament in August that uh, disc golfers play against ball golfers (laughs) on the same course. How the hell work? What do you mean? Do you think you can throw a disc as far as Brad can hit a ball? You probably can. I'm pretty bad. No, I was going to say, like, I actually think you've got an easier time. No, it's way harder. Uh, Well, it's funny because you just sold it as easier. And then you're like, nah, it's harder. Well, I'm but, sure I mean, I can against, do it. If you're playing against guys on, on a, a ball golf course, though, it's a little different setup than uh, a disc golf course. You're more playing in the woods in disc golf where, you know, you have large fairways and, you know, big greens and usually right. putting underneath a tree, you know, like not, not in this nice wide open space. So what you're saying is it's easier for you because there's less trees. But it's longer, so... It kind of evens everything out. Well, either way. Yeah. I've only disc golfed like once or twice. I enjoyed it. I was not very good at it. Um, I golf, regular golf, you know, like eh. in the summer, I try to get out once or twice a month. I'd like to go more, but it's expensive and, it, you know, you got to have time for it. And uh, I'm not very good at either, but I enjoy both. So, well, the trick is you got to go like the three, uh, the three pars hidden in like Cudahy and St. Francis. And then you're only paying like eight bucks a for eighteen or whatever. It's yeah, yeah disc the golf three is free. Uh, disc golf, uh, I that's the one great thing about still living in Whitewater is I can take advantage of that. Um, they have a decent course on campus. It's I don't know. I really only played on like two courses and I get out, I don't know, probably only like twice a summer, like not often, but it's nice when I do get out. Good time. Definitely. All right. That's it. We're getting out of here. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Um, We'll be back next week. Please download us on iTunes. If you can rate and review us, that would be fantastic. And uh, that's all we got. So for... Bradley Ford for Alex Wiersum. I am Jason Donlinger. Our apologies to John Axford. We ran out of time. You've been listening to the View from Bernie Shelley podcast. Go Brewers. Good news after the nine-game winning streak. Uh, yeah.
I didn't like how I started that. <laughs> Let's see with with you and your intros. Yeah. Get, I don't know. I just you're usually I'm, I'm on. All, you never. I'm all off today. I kind of have to poop. 